Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On my show, you'll find a mix of the latest tech news from around the world, including emerging tech, privacy, cybersecurity, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. Lots of good tech news in today's episode. Today, I'll be covering Google versus Oracle and the Supreme Court ruling in Google's favor in copyright dispute with Oracle over Android software. Yahoo Answers shutting down forever on May 4th, rest in peace. And Tim Cook's interview with Kara Swisher on her podcast Sway on his thoughts on the Epic Games court case, as well as his thoughts on privacy and how important it is in the 21st century, and his thoughts on AR, augmented reality, and the future for Apple. Buckle up, we got a lot to cover today, and make sure you stick around for the great tech tip at the very end. Supreme Court rules in Google's favor in copyright dispute with Oracle over Android software. The Supreme Court on Monday sided with Google against Oracle in a long-running copyright dispute over the software used in Android, the mobile operating system. The court's decision was 6-2. Justice Amy Coney Barrett who was not yet confirmed by the Senate when the case was argued in October, did not participate in the case. The case concerned about 12,000 lines of code that Google used to build Android that were copied from the Java application programming interface developed by Sun Microsystems, which Oracle acquired in 2010. It was seen as a landmark dispute over what types of computer code are protected under American copyright law. Oracle had claimed at points to be owed as much as $9 billion, while Google claimed that its use of the code was covered under the doctrine of fair use and therefore not subject to copyright liability. Android is the most popular mobile operating system in the world. Oracle sued Google over the use of its code and won its case twice before the specialized U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which held that the code in question was copyrightable and that Google's use of it not protected by fair use. The Supreme Court reversed the appeals court decision, though it did not definitively resolve whether the code in question was copyrightable. Justice Stephen Breyer, who wrote the majority opinion in the case, agreed that Google's use of the code was protected under fair use, noting that Google took, quote, 
only what was needed to allow users to put their accrued talents to work in a new and transformative program. To the extent that Google used parts of the Sun Java API to create a new platform that could be readily used by programmers, its use was consistent with the creative progress that is the basic constitutional objective of copyright itself, end quote. Breyer said that the top court assumed, for argument's sake, that the code was copyrightable in the first place, but declined to issue a ruling on the question, saying that the holding on fair use was enough to decide the case. Quote, given the rapidly changing technological, economic, and business-related circumstances, we believe we should not answer more than is necessary to resolve the party's dispute, end quote. Breyer was joined by Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Justices Clarence Thomas, and Samuel Alito dissented. In his dissent, joined by Alito, Thomas went for the majority for skipping over the question of copyrightability. Quote, the court wrongly sidesteps the principal question that we were asked to answer. Is declaring code protected by copyright? I would hold that it is. The majority purports to say for another day the question whether declaring code is copyrightable. The only apparent reason for doing so is because the majority cannot square its fundamentally flawed fair use analysis with a finding that declaring code is copyrightable. The case, one of the most significant of the term, featured a high-profile battle over competing visions of the future of software development. The long-settled practice of reusing software interfaces is critical to modern software development. Google's attorney, the veteran Supreme Court lawyer, Tom Goldstein, told the justices during arguments. The case attracted attention in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. In a friend of the court brief filed in the case, Microsoft argued that the federal appeals court decision, quote, threatens modern paradigms of software development, end quote. The case was originally scheduled to be heard last term before it was delayed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Kent Walker, Google's senior vice president for global affairs, said in a post on Twitter after the decision was released that, quote, today's Supreme Court decision in Google versus Oracle is a big win for innovation, interoperability, and computing, end quote. Thanks to the country's leading innovators, software engineers, and copyright scholars for their support. In a statement, Oracle said that the Google platform just got bigger and market power greater. The barriers to entry higher and the ability to compete lower. Quote, they stole Java and spent a decade litigating as only a monopolist can. This behavior is exactly why regulatory authorities around the world and in the United States are examining Google's business practices, end quote. That was a, a quote directly from Oracle. This case is known, if you're wanting to, to search it, it's known as Google LLC v. Oracle America Inc. 
case number 18-956. I'm going to keep following this because this is incredibly fascinating and very interesting, and I will be sure to report back with any updates. Yahoo Answers will be shut down forever on May 4th. The end of a long and storied internet era of bad questions and even worse answers. Yahoo Answers, one of the longest running and most storied Q&A platforms in the history of the internet, is shutting down on May 4th. That's the day the Yahoo Answers website will start redirecting to the Yahoo homepage and all of the platform's archives will apparently cease to exist. The platform has been operating since 2005. Yahoo, which is now part of Verizon Media Group following the company's sale to the telecom for nearly $5 billion in 2017, announced the change at the top of the Yahoo Answers homepage. The message links to an FAQ section, which details the timeline of the shutdown. Starting April 20th, the platform will no longer accept new submissions, the FAQ explains. Users will also have until June 30th to request their data, or it'll be inaccessible after that. That includes all user-generated content, including questions list, questions, answers list, answers, and any images. Yahoo says you won't be able to download other users' content, questions, or answers. And there was actually an email that was sent out to active Yahoo Answers members that provides a little bit more, little bit more detail as to why Yahoo is shutting down the platform, including a little blurb that Yahoo says it's become a little less popular over the years and that the company has, quote, decided to shift our resources away from product to focus on products that better serve our members, end quote. If you want to find the full message that was sent, you can find a link to this article in the show notes to read it. Perhaps the shutdown is for the best, considering the site appears to be overrun with lots of crazy drama. I will keep you up to date if anything happens differently with Yahoo Answers, but if you were born in the late 80s and early 90s, you know that Yahoo Answers is just kind of a kind of like a pool that's been sitting out in the backyard and hasn't been cleaned in quite a while. It's it's a lot. Recently on Kara Swisher's podcast Sway, Apple CEO Tim Cook says he's, quote, not focused on Facebook. Apple is confident in its case against Epic Games, and AR is critically important for Apple. In a wide-ranging interview with the New York Times' Kara Swisher on her podcast, Sway, Apple CEO Tim Cook talks about Apple's feud with Facebook, its stance on privacy, Apple's legal battle with Epic Games, and possible future Apple innovations such as Apple Glasses. Apple is in the midst of a heated public spat with Facebook over privacy, particularly over an upcoming feature on iOS that will require apps to ask for users' consent before tracking them. The new feature called ATT, 
or app tracking transparency coming with iOS 14.5 in a few weeks, according to Cook, will force apps to ask users for permission to track them across other apps and websites. Facebook has argued vehemently against the new feature, saying it impacts small businesses that rely on personalized ads derived from tracking to keep afloat. Tim Cook says he disagrees with that argument, indirectly saying that Facebook's point of view is flimsy. Cook calls privacy the top issue of the 21st century, adding that with tracking companies such as Facebook are able to put together an entire profile of what you're thinking and what you're doing. Quote, what app tracking transparency tries to get at is companies that are taking advantage of tracking you across apps of other companies and therefore putting together an entire profile of what you're thinking, what you're doing, surveilling you across the web 24-7. They'll see a simple pop-up that basically prompts them to answer the question, are they okay with being tracked or not? If they are, things move on. If they're not, then the tracking is turned off. End quote. When asked how the new feature will impact Facebook, Cook says he's not focused on Facebook. He said that Apple adds new tools and features every year that improves and doubles down on user privacy. Speaking more specifically to what actions may need to be taken against companies that track users, Cook says he used to be a firm believer in the ability for companies to regulate themselves, but notes that's now changed. Quote, generally speaking, I think privacy is one of the top issues of the 21st century, and I think we're in a crisis. Years ago, I thought companies would regulate themselves and sort of get better. I no longer believe that. And I'm not generally somebody that is keen on regulation, but I think that regulation is required, end quote. In a speech at a privacy conference in January, Cook strongly condemned social media companies that fuel conspiracy theories thanks to their algorithms. Cook says that Apple doesn't have a social media platform that is just pushing stuff in your feed, but notes it does have the App Store, which it takes careful consideration in curating content for. Quote, Well, you know, I can only speak for Apple, and from the very start, we've always believed in curation. And so we review every app that goes on the store. That doesn't mean that we're perfect at doing it, we're not, but we care deeply about what we're offering our users. And when we have a new product like Apple News, we have a human and human editors that are selecting those key stories. And so they're avoiding all the misinformation that is out there. The reality is that the web in some areas has become a dark place. And without curation, you wind up with this fire hose of things that I would not want to put in an amplifier, which is what tech is in a large way. If you have a platform, you amplify things, end quote. Cook, in typical Apple fashion, never comments on future unreleased Apple products. However, possibly hinting at Apple glasses, Cook says AR is critically important for the future of Apple. The CEO envisions a future where conversations include more than just words, but include charts and other things appearing in a virtual space. Quote, 
well, I can't talk about anything that we may or may not have in the pipeline. But in terms of AR, the promise of AR is that you and I are having a great conversation right now. Arguably, it could be even better if we were able to augment our discussion with charts or other things to appear. Your audience would also benefit from this too, I think. And so when I think about that in different fields, whether it's health, whether it's education, whether it's gaming, whether it's retail, I'm already seeing AR take off in some of those areas. And I think the promise is even greater in the future. So it's a critically important part of Apple's future, end quote. Speaking about Apple's fight with Epic Games, Cook said that Epic had long followed Apple Store rules, but decided to no longer follow the guidelines all other developers follow. Cook says that Apple is confident in its case with the gaming giant. Quote, it's about living up to the rules and the guidelines of the App Store, and they had done that for years and then had decided, evidently, that they didn't want to follow the rules anymore and had passed something throughout the review process, and then after it had been through app review, changed it on the server side. So it was sort of a deceitful move, and so we're going to court. We're coming to tell our story. We're going to talk about the privacy and security aspects of the store, and we're confident in our case, end quote. One of Epic Games' biggest arguments about the Apple ecosystem is the lack of so-called freedom for users to download apps from places other than the App Store. Many have long voiced their hope that Apple would allow users to sideload apps onto their device, such as the iPhone. Cook says that sideloading apps, however, would break the privacy and security model of the iPhone. In the remainder of the podcast, Tim Cook talks about his relationship with the President Biden administration and said he probably will not be Apple's CEO in 10 years. The full 36-minute long podcast episode that I'm referring to is available over at the New York Times. I will be linking this article in the show notes if you want to read it. Uh, but again, this episode, this podcast episode that I'm referring to is from Kara Swisher's podcast, Sway on the New York Times. It's time for your weekly tech tip. I'm excited to share this tech tip today because this is actually the first tech tip that I'll be sharing that is not just for iPhone users. So Android users, listen up as well. This tech tip centers around organization and staying on top of your life, whether it's work, whether it's personal, whether it's nonprofit or organization, you name it, this will help you out. So I've been using an app recently called Todoist. I actually went ahead and paid for the premium version of this because I see how integral this is to my everyday life. What Todoist is, it gives you the confidence that everything's organized and accounted for so you can make progress on the things that are important to you. You can start each day feeling calm and in control. You can get a clear overview of everything on your plate and you'll never lose track of an important task. With features like quick ads, recurring due dates, and task view, you can really focus your energy on the right things with easily organized and prioritized tasks and projects so you know exactly what to work on next. 
There's also cool features of sharing the workload. You can delegate tasks. So let's say you're working on a vacation planning um, project or a home renovation or even a rebrand inside of your company. You can share the workload there. Um, and what I love most about Todoist is you can actually see tangible pro progress. I'm a very um, visual-oriented person, if anyone knows me, and I know that small steps every day can really add up to big achievements over time. So in Todoist, you can set daily and weekly goals and visualize your productivity trends. And you can see the big picture with boards. Um, you can organize your projects with an easy to understand layout that can be simple or as in-depth as you need. And lastly, you can connect Todoist with your world. I have mine connected with my Google Calendar, with my Dropbox, with my Alexa. I'm also working on some Zapier integrations. So you can really do a lot here. And what's best is that all of your stuff syncs, no matter if you're on your computer or on a web browser or on your app, on your iPhone or Android, it all syncs. It all stays up to, up to date across all your devices. Um, so if you're looking for a tool to help you get your life organized, definitely look at Todoist. I love it. I look forward to the daily email that I get in the morning. It gives me a rundown of what I've got going on in my day. Uh, and it makes me feel good when I'm able to like mark things off my, my to-do list. Um, it's just a nice centralized location to help you manage your life. So if you're interested in that, check them out. I actually have a referral link I will link in the show notes for you. So if you're interested in signing up for Todoist, you don't have to buy it, um, try it out. Let me know what you think. If you do want to upgrade, you can actually use my referral code and get a really good deal there. You can find that at Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T dot com forward slash R forward slash Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y underscore coffee underscore M-C-F-T-T-Q. That's a lot to remember. So again, I will link this URL in the show notes. So if you're interested in signing up for Todoist, be sure to use my referral link for a great code. And let me know what you think. I love seeing how people make Todoist their own with their own little templates. Um, I've got my podcast workflow all set up in Todoist and then shared. Um, highly recommend. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Hope you enjoyed the tech tip for the week. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a rate and review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Coffee and Code, and I'll see you next week.